0: Welcome to Celtic Legacy, I'm T.M. Moore. We have already met the Irish missionary monk, Brendan of Clonfort, who flourished in the middle of the 6th century and who is remembered primarily for his journeys upon the Atlantic Ocean seeking the Promised Land of the Saints. While the life of Brendan records real events in history, its primary purpose is to encourage a disciplined life of seeking to lay hold on the promises of God, to live the then and there of eternal life in every moment of our here and now. Brendan's story offers what seem like true glimpses of what it was like to live in pagan Ireland, doing the work of an evangelist among wild and uncivilized people. One story in particular stands out in my mind to demonstrate the temper of the times in which Brendan worked and the confidence he maintained in the power of God's word. Here's an excerpt from The Life of Brendan, translated by Charles Plummer in his Lives of Irish Saints, Volume 2, and which leads into this installment of Celtic Legacy entitled Victory Over Paganism. One day, Brendan and Bishop Eric were going along the road when a man man, happened to join them. There happened, moreover, to meet them seven warriors who were enemies of his. He was greatly terrified at seeing them and said, Those men will kill me now, said he. Go under the shadow of yonder standing stone, said Brendan, and stretch thyself in its shadow. He did so, and Brendan lifted up his hand to God in prayer for the man's deliverance. Then his enemies came to the stone and smote it on the side, and after cutting off its head, they left it and carried off the head, thinking that it was the head of their enemy. And the decapitated stone still remains in the same place. Thus, Brendan made a man of the stone and a stone of the man. Do penance, said Bishop Eric to them, to the warriors, for it is the head of stone that you hold, and your enemy has escaped from your hands, safe and sound. They did rigorous penance, therefore, under the rule of Bishop Eric. This is one of my favorite stories in all the hagiographical writing from the period of the Celtic Revival, around 430 to 800 A.D., We recall that hagiography is a kind of history, but not. Its purpose was to celebrate a particular saint, not merely to extol the saint, but to establish the importance of his peruchia, his spiritual family, and to extol the various spiritual virtues and victories he demonstrated and achieved. The greater the saint, the greater his monastery and legacy, and the family of monks and others attached to these. Along the way, these semi-histories taught lessons about the life of faith, the hope that we have in the Lord, and the work God has given us to do. So, as we might expect, hagiography is a kind of history writing with hyperbole, history as it were, on a wink and a prayer. This was understood at the time, and no one objected. Rather, the art of hagiography came to involve trying to tell the best and most believable story without descending into the realm of magic or falling into incredulity. So hagiography contains a good bit of recognizable history. Brendan and Eric were real people. Brigands and bad guys abounded along the highways of medieval Ireland, and they could be violent in pursuit of their goals. It's even possible that the phrase, quote, and the decapitated stone still remains in the same place, end quote, indicated an artifact with which hearers would have been familiar a pagan standing stone with a bit of its top broken off. In order to be useful for its purposes, hagiography had to be believable, and factoring in historical data and reference helped hagiographers achieve that objective. But the main point of this, and all hagiography, is not to communicate an accurate record of historical events. Two overarching points are being made here. The first relates to Brendan and his wisdom in saving the man who happened to join them. This phrase probably wants us to think that during the course of their walking together, the man began to walk the same path as Brendan and Eric. He became a believer, that is. The writer wants us to see Brendan, a disciple of Eric and thus well grounded in the first phase of the Celtic revival, the generation that succeeded Patrick, as a faithful servant of those in need and an able communicator of the gospel. But second, Brendan is to be seen as one of the great saints by which paganism was vanquished in Ireland and the gospel became established as the religion of all truly pious people. The stone was a standing stone that is a a pagan monument set up on its end as a place for worship or otherwise honoring some pagan deity. Brendan instructed the man to stretch himself in the shadow of the standing stone, it sounds like he was instructing him first to conform his body to the outlines of the stone, but to stretch himself perhaps in the shape of a cross. If this is the case, Brendan would have been instructing the man to take up the discipline of crossfiegel, praying with one's arms outstretched in the form of the cross. For the purposes of the storyteller, Brendan was bringing Christ and the light of the gospel into the shadowy darkness of paganism by sending a man like himself to bear the good news in his own body. The pagan warriors, blinded by rage, mistook the standing stone for the man who may have been praying on the backside of the stone, and they violently whacked off the top of the stone, thinking it to be the man's head. Well, this probably didn't really happen. We cannot imagine a sword sharp enough to cut the top off of a large stone. And even if we could, the shock of the blow would surely have alerted the warrior to his mistake. Yet these warriors did not see the error of their way until Bishop Eric advised them of it. But the point is not history. The point is good news. Paganism self-destructs in the presence of the gospel preached by men like Brendan and Eric. The light of Christ overcomes the darkness of paganism. The preaching of repentance takes away the darkness of unbelief and puts everything in a new light. Eric's call for the men to repent found all seven of them, a perfect and therefore representative number, submitting to the rule of discipline of Eric's community." This also would figure as a historical fact. Many were led to see the error of their pagan or unbelieving ways and attached themselves to the ones who led them to salvation, very often becoming a member of a particular community of the faithful. The important point of this vignette is reduced to a pithy, almost proverbial statement. Thus Brendan made a man of the stone, and a stone, of the man." The stone became a man in the eyes of the warriors, thus illustrating the deception of their violent, unbelieving way of life. And the man in the stone became a stone standing on the rock of Christ for his salvation. It's not important whether that statement makes perfect sense, only that it be memorable to capture the important details of the story, thus to facilitate retelling and doubtless further elaboration of details. Reading Celtic hagiography is a delightful challenge. We must not dismiss this literature simply because it beggars belief at times. Rather, we must learn to appreciate it as a form of art intended for meanings other than the simple recounting of historical fact. It does some of that, to be sure, but readers of hagiography must always keep its larger and more important purposes in mind if they want to gain the benefit Celtic hagiographers intended. Visit our website, www.ilba.org, to discover the many free resources for kingdom living that are available there. To learn more about the Celtic Revival and its enduring legacy, click the bookstore tab at our website and order a free copy of our book, The Legacy of Patrick. Join us next time on Celtic Legacy as we meet one of the great theologians and visionaries of the Celtic Revival. Until then, for Celtic Legacy and the Fellowship of Ilba, this is T.M. Moore.